What up, fam? I am Dr. Day Luna, and you are listening to Drop It Like It's Doc podcast. Today, I have on Kelly Livingstone. She is a yoga instructor, a yoga therapist, and today we talk all about things that come up when working in the yoga industry. And I love that in this conversation, we really dove into things that we have both learned along the way. So if you are someone that practices yoga or interested in practicing yoga or someone that is a yoga instructor or thinking about becoming a yoga instructor, you're going to want to listen to this episode and learn a little bit about what we have learned over the last decade. First of all, just so honored to be sitting across the table from you. This is such a full circle moment for me. I feel that. Yes. Yeah. And of course, I'll get into our love story and how we met, even though this is a reunion of sorts. But before we dive into all of that, I would love to introduce you and just let my viewers know who you are. And Kelly is a yoga instructor. You are a certified yoga therapist, and we're going to get all into that. And of course, you are just a delightful, vulnerable, authentic human being. And the reason why you are here is truly because of the role that you have played in my yoga journey. And I don't even know if you know this about you, but... When we first met, it was at a yoga studio in Ocean Beach, and you were already a rock star of a teacher. You already had a following. You already just, you were so dropped into that space, and you knew that it was part of your calling. And I remember these really cool red yoga pants that you had. Not even kidding. And I took your class, and I just remember the music moved me, your words moved me. All of it was so powerful, and you were a huge part of the reason why I decided to do yoga teacher training because I envied that confidence, your ability to walk into a room and hold space, and you were always yourself. You never walked in with this mask on or this this, you know, this guise of having all your shit together or being an enlightened, you know, superhero trying to spit knowledge onto the peasants below you. It was you being you and you sharing something that you so clearly loved. And because of that, I now am a yoga teacher. So I owe oh. you a really big part of my journey. So thank you. You are so welcome. And I had no idea yeah. <laughs> that I was a part of that because it was kind of like a blip in, in my teaching journey, teaching at that studio. But I remember you, I remember your energy, your smile and your mm -hmm. passion. So Mm, I love that for you. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that's a really incredible part of being yoga instructors is that we are in a room, usually, you know, full of people. Mm. Uh, Ideally. We, we call in <laughs> yeah. full classes. And the people see us and mm. we see their faces, but we don't learn about them. But they yeah. learn about us. And because of that, certain people are drawn to us. And we change lives without even recognizing that that's what we're doing. So, yes, you absolutely did that for me. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for sharing that. That's really special. Of course. Yeah course and today I really just wanted to unravel some of the things that we've learned along our journey as humans and yoga instructors and I would love to learn about your decision to become a yoga teacher a yoga therapist all of it yeah so it goes back um many years I was I was 12 the first time I took a yoga class which is like kind of wild to think about um it was something my dad and I did to like bond in a way that he knew I was like in my body. I was always into gymnastics and cheerleading. And he was like, there's this like hot yoga thing. Like, let's <laughs> go stretch in a 105 degree room. It's called Bikram. And I was like, cool dad, like anything. And so we started doing Bikram at 
you know, at a way too young of age, 12 year olds out there <laughs> do not go to hot yoga. Um, yeah, just now looking back, like not the safest thing to do, but it did get me into my body. And I remember a teacher calling me spaghetti legs in the middle of class and being like, yeah, like I'm good at this. And I wasn't good at a lot of sports. So it felt like something almost right away that I could, I, I felt really like successful at. So I started practicing, um, dabbling here and there in hot yoga. And then it wasn't until high school that I started dealing with some anxiety as teenagers do. Um, I went to therapy and they were like, here's a antidepressant. Um, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to try that yoga thing that made me feel really freaking good. Um, so I started going to core power yoga and at 17 years old was like, oh, like this feels right. Um, so when I went to college in Boulder, I kept kept up my practice. I signed up for my first teacher training. And about a week before my first teacher training, I had two close friends that I'd made in college die in a car accident. Mm. So one of the first calls I made was like to my mom and I was like, cancel that training that I signed up for. Pull me out of life. Like I'm I'm canceling myself. Like I just need to stop everything. And for whatever reason, like she didn't make that call. And I, I like show up absolutely broken to that first training, like 18 years old, like just maybe this will make me feel something again. Cause I was just shattered and it did. I dropped out of college, <laughs> um, not to the, you know, the happiness of my parents, but <laughs> they've come around since. And I just went 112% like into yoga. I did one teacher training. I did another teacher training. I was like teaching anywhere that would have me. It was like 19 surrounded by college kids, but like deep in my practice and like deep in something that I knew I was put on this planet to do. Fast forward to moving back to San Diego. I was like managing studios. I was teaching at that studio in OB. I was just so into it as not only a teacher, but like the business side of things too. And then my husband and I, we dated in college. We split up while I was in like the deep um, path that I was on because we were on very different paths at the time. And when we got back together, he was like, you know, let's let's pick up and move to New Zealand. And I was like, hmm, okay. Even though my business, my following, everything was here. So we traveled all around. We moved there for two years and I was teaching there. I was running a studio there, just got super lucky, um, ended up moving home. And all in the while of that, I was in the middle of a yoga therapy training trying to finish. And it's hard to do that when you're living on an island so far away. <laughs> and I came home and just started figuring out like what was it actually going to look like to finish this training, to start my business, um, to get really into education, leading trainings, leading workshops, leading retreats. And about that time of finishing the training, the pandemic started. And that was when I was like, okay, shit has to go online. Like mm -hmm. I have to use this following I've created through years and years of teaching yoga and like and leverage it. So I started showing up on Instagram lives. I started making reels, even though I had been creating them for years before they were even called, called that, <laughs> like just like in my apartments, just making videos. Cause I always have loved the content creation side of my job. And that was when I really started to realize that there was like something to building an online following and like creating these beautiful conversations with people all around the world. 
And yeah, so that was really the last few years have been building that. Um, I led a 300 hour training last year for the first time. I co-led it with a really good friend of mine and that was like one of the most um, rewarding things I've ever done in my career because it just took what I had been doing like to the next level. I had to up level my game, my content, my curriculum, like everything was just like brought to the next level. And that's really where I'm at now is like still, still showing up online, still like so passionate about learning, but, um, but a lot of unlearning has been going into that as of, as of lately. Yes. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. There are so many little things that I want (laughs) to highlight in there and wow. Thanks dad. You were 12. Yeah. When you were given this shout out out, daddy, Uh this window into this side of life and the side of your consciousness and how to connect with your body because I know when I was 12 I didn't know that that's what I was doing when I was going to dance class and yes I love dancing but you know your background in gymnastics it did set you up to be able to move in that way Mm -hmm. and I think that as kids we want to be good at something right like for me I didn't do sports because I thought I wasn't good at them and I did ballet because I thought I was and then I twisted my ankle and that wasn't the thing and then I found yoga and I was like oh these are my people. Yeah. This, this is how I can move my thing. body. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And even just being able to learn how to breathe when you're 12. Yeah. Game changer. A game changer. Yeah. 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 And bless your sweet mama for not canceling that training. I know. Because right. it is something that you needed. You needed to feel during that time. And I think yoga is a safe way for us to connect our emotions to our body. Mm. Instead of just only feeling the emotions in our mind and thinking about them, trying to unravel them, actually feeling where they are in the body and giving them space to be felt and then ultimately released. Yeah, 100%. I it's, love a good cry in yoga. I, yeah, I don't feel like it's something I did consciously at the time or... I just was so, I was so young when I did that first training. Like I looked around and I'm mm-hmm. in a training with this beautiful 50 year old woman and this amazing 60 year old man. And I'm over there like trying to get a, a A in chemistry and like <laughs> showing up, showing up to teacher trainings on the weekends, just like in shambles, you know? Um, but, but it was something that I did to like feel whole. And I think because of how healing it was for me, that's why I was like, drop this drop this degree shit like I'm I'm going all in yeah. because this stuff works yeah it felt real to you and yeah and education the educational system I mean to become a doctor I had no way around it mm-hmm. but I think so many people go into it because they think it's what they're supposed to do but it's not their dharma it's not something they're called to it doesn't have that pull it doesn't light them up inside and how beautiful that you found that and you decided to follow that over what society told you you were yeah. supposed to do and, and like I just have to say too it was such a privilege to be able to to do that yeah. like yeah, not everyone can just like drop everything and make that choice. And um, yeah, I feel really privileged that that was, that was something I could do, a decision I could make for myself. But also I will say that you made it happen mm. because so many people can become yoga instructors and they can't survive off of it. They yeah. can't make a living off of it and it ends up being something that they resent because they have to teach 20 classes a week. They lose their own personal practice. And I remember, I really do. I remember when I was waiting tables in college to try to save up money for medical school because I knew, I knew that it was going to be a lot. Mm. And I remember chatting with one of my good friends, Fallon, Mm -hmm. who's on this podcast. (laughs) She was teaching full time. And I remember just complaining about how much I hated serving. I hated it so much. (laughs) She's like, well, you could just teach yoga full time. And then we would talk about what that would look like. And it just didn't seem... I knew I would lose myself in that. Yeah. And so many people don't. She's phenomenal and she did not lose herself. But... I mean, when I first started teaching yoga, the starting rate to teach a yoga class was $20. Yeah. 
and an hour. And it's, I gotta be honest, it's not much, it's not much more now. And that's something that needs to change. Um, and it is something I tell a lot of, a lot of newer teachers that come to me and they're like, how do you do it? How do you make it work full time? I'm like, first of all, you don't have to, and I don't really recommend you do, mm-hmm. especially when you're first starting out to have a job that you can just like go in, clock in, clock out and not have to take home and not have to market and not have to think about the playlist and the sequence and the everything that goes into this job is like, it's not just your standard you know, working at a shoe shop, which is what I did for a while to to make it work while I was teaching yoga and while I was learning management and all these skills. Mm. So I always recommend newer teachers to really take their time before they go all in mm-hmm. because that's how you can make it sustainable to be like a lifelong, a lifelong career. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. And I just had a flashback in that moment. I used to get so nervous before I would teach and Mm. I'm a speaker that is what I do I love being on stage my whole life I've loved it I still do I am on a stage right now look at you with a microphone (laughs) just waiting for this moment yeah but walking into a room of people that say nothing for an hour and only listen to you is so intimidating Mm. you I would plan my sequences I would practice them at home I would practice teaching them to playlists I would switch up the playlist it would take so much time and energy and it took years until I let that go and stopped trying so hard and just dropped into being a human in that space. And I feel like that's when I became the teacher that my students know and love. And it wasn't when I was trying to be this perfect, you know, precise, have it all together teacher that there's a seamless flow that I don't mess up once. Yeah. I mean, how exhausting is that yeah. to show up and like perform mm-hmm. and and showing up when life sucks is like the most draining thing too as a teacher it's like you can do a lot of jobs sad and tired and heartbroken and depressed and all these things to show up for a room full of people that are like ready to receive from you that need something from you physically emotionally mentally spiritually it's it's tough and it can be it can be really draining if you don't have clear boundaries if you don't have a full cup if if that is your bread and butter and everything you're doing and running around town teaching 20 classes a week, which is something I never felt called to do mm-hmm. or like that was sustainable or was gonna work for me, even though I see people do it well all the time, that's not me mm-hmm. and it's never gonna be me, so yeah. yeah. I agree so much and I think for me in the beginning of when I first started teaching, and once I was already in that comfortable space where I wasn't planning everything out, I went through a few little waves of depression, quite a few. And every time I would be at home and I would be crying to my partner, I'd be like, I can't go and teach and pretend that I'm okay. And I can really give a huge shout out to my girl, Nikki Ray Bowes, mm. the owner of Reunify, because she is someone that when I took her classes, she was one of the first people that would just sit down in front of the room. And yeah, she would weave it into different spiritual teachings of the yoga practice, but she would always speak about something that was real that was going on in her life. And if she was going through it, she would explain what she was going through. And I feel like it created this space and this permission that I didn't necessarily feel in other classes. And yes, I would still want to push myself and still do what she was asking, but it gave me this spaciousness to do exactly what I needed because she was speaking to what she needed. She was being human. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I think I think folks can see yoga teachers as being immune to life, to 
darkness to whatever. Um, I think there's a lot of spiritual toxicity that goes around in wellness spaces, as you probably know. And some of that can come from yoga teachers coming up to the stage, right? The mm-hmm. front of the front of the class and and just spewing love and light and bullshit that has nothing to do with the human experience, to be honest. So it is so often love and light and bullshit. And I love trying out all different yoga studios. I love trying other people's medicine because that's what it is. You're feeling their art. You're Mm, feeling into this creation that they are creating for you. But within the first second, even that they open their mouth with the hi or whatever it is. I'm like, oh God. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I'm going to have to. My practice is going to be not to judge them this whole time. Honestly, that is one of the reasons I have a hard time taking public classes is because I'm such an asshole in my head. <laughs> and, you know, non-judgment is a very important part of a yoga practice. But man, is that a tough part of the practice as mm-hmm. a student to get on your mat and just be humble, be open and not be an asshole in your head. Like that can be really tough, especially when you know what you know and you can't unknow it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I fully agree. <laughs> and I think a huge part of me becoming the teacher that I am, and I think I'm a great teacher. And the I way can't wait that- to take your class, by the way. Oh, uh, you can hello. take it anytime. It would be an honor yeah. to have you in my class. But I think it's because I show up as myself. Mm. I make jokes. I drop F-bombs. I play music that inspires me. And, you know, it might not be traditional music that you would think that you would practice yoga to. But, you know, when I've been to India before, you actually don't even practice to music. It's just mm. the sound of the jungle yeah. around you. So I think that finding your voice as a human, I mean, I'm a big fan of being authentic and using your own voice. But I think as a yoga instructor, that is one of the most key things that you can do to actually have a sustainable following and for people to connect with you. Because if you're wearing this mask of Barbie in front of the class, it's going to be a very different experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the minute that we take our mask off and we're like, look, this is what I'm going through. Like, it's been tough. It's been real, but we're going to breathe through it. We're going to accept that part of ourselves. Like there's people that come up to me after class and are like, you know, thank you. Thank you for naming that. Like, Mm -hmm. because it's giving people permission to also name that they're going through a tough time or whatever it is. Yeah. Like it's an invitation. Yeah. And I think as humans, we like to numb things. We like to pretend that things don't exist. We like to, you know, as a common greeting, we say, how are you? Not because we actually want to know how the person is just because we expect the answer to be good. Mm. And if the answer is ever not good, I can usually feel that weight fall into someone else because I am so fucking honest. Mm. And I, everyone that knows me knows that if you ask me how I am, I'm going to tell you how I am. I am the same. Yes. (laughs) And that is why you are here because Mm. I know that about you. Mm -hmm. And As yoga instructors, you are a human and you have to be able to show up in that space. And I agree, it helps other people take the mask off. And the realness of the situation is that most people don't always show up in a yoga space because they're feeling amazing. It's because they're going through something and want to turn their little brain off. And as humans, we all go through the same shit. Yeah. And it's not to say like I have taken some classes where I feel like they're like emotionally dumping on their students too. So there's a really fine boundary and a fine line between like here's something that like collectively we could be experiencing or like personally that I'm going through and here's the lesson in it all that's universal and I think that's really the sign of a good yoga teacher is to take a point of suffering or a pain point or you know something going on in the world and making it making it make sense to the individual Mm. right making it a collective and universal theme yeah you're absolutely right Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more because 
even if we're not even talking about the yoga space, it doesn't feel good when someone emotionally dumps all their things on you. And something that I am working on on a daily basis is my boundaries mm. because I'm a space holder in every single hat that I wear. I hold space and I'm aware that that makes it so people want to share with me. And I love to hear what people are going through. I love to help them, but there's a lot of times where energetically I can't, mm -hmm. but if people assume that that's the role that you play, then it will be something that they continue to do over and over and over again. And you know, if I'm feeling really depleted, one of the worst things that someone can do to me after class is be like, hey, can I ask you a medical question? How do you handle that? And it might not be medical, but you know, just like, no, but it is. Because even before I was a doctor, all my students after class would be like, oh, so my throat hurts a little bit or like what's going on with my foot? And I'm like, wow. that's a question for your doctor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think boundaries is a really hot topic right now because more and more people are going to therapy. Shout out to therapy. <laughs> like, um, But setting boundaries as a yoga teacher is so much easier said than done because mm -hmm. we want to help. We want to hold space. That's what we do for a living. Um, but it is a tough, tough thing to tell someone, hey, I don't have the mental bandwidth for that right now can we table this for another time mm -hmm. or hey I'm I'm really hungry I have a date with my husband right now can we can we talk next time and another thing I struggle with too is when when people come to things that come to me for things that are out of my scope of practice and to be willing and able to say maybe have you considered therapy <laughs> right have you considered seeing a doctor have you considered booking an appointment with here's an acupuncturist and something as yoga teachers we can have in our toolbox is resources. Yes. Here's my, here's my acupuncturist. Here's a clinic that I go to for mental health. You know, here's, here's an app that I use for, um, for free mental health care, like whatever it is to have these resources when you can say very clearly, like, that's, that's not my, that's not my thing. Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that as yoga instructors, it blurs a lot of those boundaries as to what is in the scope and what isn't because it yes. all depends on who you were trained by, what they believe in. And I used to do things before I was a medical professional that I would never do now because I'm just so hyper aware of the physical body, of injuries, of silent injuries, of things that people are just grunting through, but really they don't need to be pushed deeper. And something that I would love to chat about with you is physical adjustments because mm. I would touch everyone and I would actually feel guilty if I didn't touch everyone in the class at the end of the class and it would be a source of anxiety for me and Sebastian, I'd be like, okay, who, who haven't I touched it? Okay, I've got to go them. I'll massage their feet for 30 seconds to go here. And my job is not a massage therapist. That is not my job. I was not trained in massage. Yes, we had a workshop one weekend on how to help people in certain poses, but still a lot of the adjustments that were taught in my teacher training, my 200 hour teacher training, and I did an additional one in India, which we did not talk about one adjustment on touching one other person. We talked about using props and, you know, supporting every body type, but traditionally it was never taught for me to touch someone else and push them into a posture. But here it's what's encouraged. And it's, it's almost like deeper is better. More sensation is better. Mm. Doesn't that say a lot about <laughs> our culture? Yeah. Um, yeah. I have some strong feelings about physical adjustments because something I learned in, in going down the yoga therapy rabbit hole is is everyone's body has a story mm -hmm. and whether they're listening to that story and aware of that story is a whole nother story right and so I don't I don't touch my students anymore um and that's taken me a long time to even like name out loud because people have strong feelings like people love adjustments and they feel so good but 
It's not in our scope of practice, in my opinion. We are not massage therapists. And even if we get permission from our students, we don't know what, what's going on in their low back, in their upper back, mm-hmm. in their subtle body, in their fascia. Like we, we don't know what we don't know. And with adjustments, I think a lot can come up that maybe we aren't prepared to deal with as especially 200 hour yoga teachers that took a five hour adjustments workshop that taught you how to touch a sacrum and down dog. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's just like, to me that, that isn't enough education to be manipulating physical bodies. And another thing too, is like, what is the intention? Is your mm-hmm. intention behind touching someone to make them feel a certain way to help them get deeper in a pose? Why? And then is your intention to make them like you? Is their intention, is your intention to make them make them come back to your class? Like what, what is the reason that we're so, we can be so focused or attached to giving physical adjustments? And that's what I'm really curious about. And mm-hmm. I encourage my students, and when I say students, like people that have done trainings with me to really sit with and if you are a teacher giving physical adjustments, like I'm not here to be like the adjustment police and tell you what to do and what not to do, but like have a serious self inquiry and some critical thinking as to, do you feel ready to handle what comes up? If it comes up, do you feel like you have a really clear intention as to why you're putting your hands on another human being? beautifully said and yes no truly i thought about this i love it i love it and Mm -hmm. i think that it all does come down to intention and i think that for a while as when i was a yoga student you know it was just what everyone did so that's what i would do as a teacher but it wasn't from me it wasn't based on what i was comfortable with and what i wasn't comfortable with and when i first started teaching yoga i was not where i am in my practice now in that i was a hypermobile ballerina and i would always go as deep as possible and i would always try to you know just if a fuller expression was given, I was going to it. And yeah, now more, is more baby. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. it was almost, it, it was like, I was trying to prove myself in a room in which that is the opposite of what you're doing. You're supposed to be with yourself. And now my practice, I think that people that have trained under me actually get really surprised when they watch me practice yoga, because I, I always drop that knee. I don't do chaturangas. <laughs> I am in child's pose half the class. Yeah. I linger places when people are moving on. And that's because that's truly what my body needs. And if you are someone that is physically adjusting, I think there's a lot of individuals that are very trained and they know what they're doing and it can feel supportive and nice. However, if you're doing it to help someone get deeper, who's to say that that's actually what they need? And I will never forget, and I was in a supine twist and a student that had just completed teacher training mm-hmm. came up to me and she gave me such a deep adjustment because yes, I'm hypermobile. My body will go there. But what happens in a hypermobile body is that then your muscles will spasm to try to keep you from not slipping a disc in your beautiful spine. And that's what happened. And I honestly don't think my spine has ever felt the same. Mm. I really don't. And that was a very long time ago. And I, even as her being my student, I was too scared to tell her that she was hurting me. And if I was scared, the most vocal person I know there's so many people that would never say it. And then do you have insurance for that? Because what happens if you really injure someone? Yeah. And liability or insurance only goes <laughs> only goes so far. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I've heard that story from many, many people. And in my own like little bubble, I'm like, no, I've never, I've never injured anybody, but who the F knows yeah. if I've injured anybody? Because like you said, a lot of people suffer silently mm-hmm. and they leave class and maybe they never come back to yoga again. Mm-hmm. They'll definitely not come back to my class again, right? If I've injured them or touched them in a way that felt invasive or too deep. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's, 
I think it's something that I, I think about often is like the things we do as teachers just because our teachers did them or just mm-hmm. because they've been normalized or because our students really want them and like it's it really pisses me off when we treat yoga like a customer service industry and I think adjust <laughs> eye roll like the yeah. biggest eye roll because like adjust <laughs> adjustments are like that it's like ooh I want my customer to come back so I'm gonna make them feel really good I'm gonna give them a neck massage like what what yeah that I'm not is touching not you. that I'm not touching you <laughs> and and like one of the main pillars of yoga is drawing attention inside ourselves mm-hmm. your hands on someone's body that takes their attention somewhere else mm-hmm. than their breath and their body and what they've got going on in their subtle energy and whatnot. So it's just like, I just don't know. I, I should do some research, like where the F that came from, like yeah. putting our hands on people in that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's Who interesting. Yeah. And also just being a female that has interesting relationships with men and that I'm working through lots of trauma with men. I don't think that people are aware of how that can show up in a yoga space, especially, you know, we both used to be very involved in hot yoga. You're essentially wearing a bathing suit and sweaty. And then this man goes, can you touch me? Will you please touch me? I got someone, will you stand on my hands? Nah, bro, I won't. I was so young, I said yes. Yeah, I didn't know. Oh no, there were so many, I would. (laughs) So many times. It wasn't until the pandemic that when no one was allowed to touch each other that I actually dropped into myself being like, I feel a lot better leaving a room after I have not touched anyone. Yeah. I had some moments as a student where I would hear, I would hear a teacher coming up to me doing their little, yeah. you know, like I could hear them walking. I could hear their mala beads like clinking on their chest, whatever it was. And I could feel my heart as a student start racing. And I was like, something's up with this mm. that I'm as someone so in my body and so practiced, I'm having this visceral reaction in my nervous system. If I, if I'm feeling that way, when someone I know and trust is coming up to touch my low back and you know child's pose or whatever, I wonder mm-hmm. how my community is feeling when I do the same. Yeah. And it was then I started touching people less and less and less. And then just, it's been a long time since I put my hands on someone in that capacity. Yeah. And I'm happy to hear you say that just because part of me still does feel guilty. Honestly, yeah, I yeah. do. Even on my class on, I taught on Monday, I was not feeling great. Mm -hmm. Can't act like I was. And that's what I couldn't pretend. So I stood up in front of the class on my little stage and I let them know about my day and what was coming up for me and weave that into the practice. And I kind of use that as the lesson throughout the whole thing. Um, And at the end, someone said to me, like, I really wanted you to touch me in half pigeon. And I'm like, I know you did. I could actually feel that. but you don't want this. Like you don't even want what I have right now yeah. <laughs> energetically to transmit. And I think we forget as humans that we are not just physical. We transmit so much energetically, even in our words and holding that space we're transmitting energy, but touching too is is delicate. So I, I love that in your journey, that's been something that's come up for you independent yeah. of me. Absolutely. Yeah. So I would love to talk a little bit about yoga therapy because I don't know much about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people do. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yoga therapy is a, it's a thousand hours of training that goes into really individualizing the resources of yoga for certain therapeutic conditions. So whether that's someone dealing with a bulging disc or um, insomnia or high blood pressure or Parkinson's or like the list goes on. There's so many things that yoga can be supportive of that that person probably wouldn't come to your like 530 vinyasa class mm-hmm. um, and feel like totally supported in that way. So yoga therapy takes the tools of yoga and it brings it into the individual so that you have this kind of like short, 
simple sequence of poses that not only addresses what they've got going on physically, but can be really, really helpful for things to people dealing with things mentally or emotionally. Um, and it's not just poses, like we go deep into certain breath techniques you can use, um, even lifestyle adjustments that you can do to help you sleep better, help you move better, help you digest better, all those things. Incredible. And yeah, and I think it's something that I'm really grateful yoga therapy introduced me to was the idea of scope of practice. And my teacher was like so adamant about our scope of practice as yoga therapists to the point where she was like, don't even tell someone to drink water. Or like, don't even tell someone to drink tea. Like that's not our scope of practice. And um, it made me really passionate about like, know what I know and like kind of like stay, stay in my lane to mm -hmm. the best of my ability. Um, because that is how we can integrate yoga in more health careers, professions, spaces is by being really clear about boundaries as yoga teachers and, and not letting that blur with, with other, you know, wellness professions. I love that. And I think that something that came through really strong for me and in you saying that is that yoga therapy is someone you're sitting with them one-on-one -on -one and you are helping them learn about their body, which is really challenging to do when you are in a room full of 20, 30 people. And Oftentimes it's this collective mentality where everyone wants to do the same thing instead of getting out of their head, dropping into their body and saying, oh, this side, I actually need to be here longer. This side, I actually need to modify. Yeah. This is actually a no for me because everyone else is doing it. But then in yoga therapy, you give them that space. And I think in general, a lot of our yoga students think that we have the answers for them, which is why we do get these questions after class, why we do get these things that come up. But really the whole point of this practice is for you to drop into yourself so that you can listen to what you need, but not only just listen so that you can show up for yourself in the way that you need to be shown. And I think that's phenomenal that your teacher was telling you about the scope of practice because I couldn't agree more that yeah. there are certain things that when I hear yoga teachers say them sometimes in class, I have to almost bite my tongue to not walk up to them after and be like, as a medical professional, you can't say that even... This actually comes up a lot for me with certain breathwork mm. teachers because I, I'm so aware of my nervous system and what a minute of Bastrika would do to it that there could be someone in there with really high blood pressure. There could be someone in there that is just healing from a stroke. There could be someone that had a panic attack that morning and they're going to want to do what everyone else in the room is doing because if not, they feel like something's wrong with them, like they are not worthy, like they're not meant for this practice, but yeah. they are. It's just modifying it for their body. You know, this is like such a important conundrum of group yoga classes. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're trying to take something that is so vast and complex and make it like a one size fits all sort of thing. And that's not to say that I like don't love teaching group classes because I fucking love teaching group classes. I always will, I always have. But but the thing about yoga therapy that's so nice is that you can like, it's, it sounds a little cheesy, but it's like you're really just holding up a mirror so someone can see themselves. Yeah. And someone can be like, actually, that doesn't feel good. And I've never really had the space to say that triangle pose with my legs like that like really hurts my low back because mm -hmm. everyone was doing it and everyone was taught teaching it that way. So, um, yeah, if people haven't experienced a one-on-one -on -one yoga session, like not to just like plug that in there. Plug it in. But it's so useful to have someone just be like, hey, have you ever tried to widen your feet in that pose and see how it feels on your pelvic floor or like whatever mm -hmm. it is? It's like, yeah, it's it, it can take 
for lack of a better term, like it takes your practice to another level mm -hmm. because you can you can understand how these poses were not meant to fit all bodies in one single way, but there is a way for mm -hmm. yoga to be for every body. Absolutely. Period. Lee, period. <laughs> Mic drop. Yes. Yeah. Truly. And I say that a lot to my patients that are interested in getting into yoga. And I cannot deny that walking into a room of humans that practice yoga, that know what they're doing, that show up, that, you know, it's very intimidating. As a, I remember walking into the yoga studio my first time, I was intimidated as fuck. And I can't imagine being, you know, 50, 60, wanting to try my first yoga class ever and wanting to walk into a room like this, having the expectation that my body should feel or look the way as anyone else is in the room. And I love sharing with my patients to do a one-on-one -on -one class, do a private, so that they could learn the poses, so that they can ask questions. Because it's hard to answer questions in a group setting. I will, but it's challenging if you're going with the flow and... And then there's that one student that's like, what if this hurts my shoulder? And everyone turns and looks. Yeah. So like, you're allowed to talk in here? Like, <laughs> They're like, let's workshop this yeah, with yeah, everyone. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yoga is for everyone. Yeah. There's that intimidation factor I do. I think because I was so young and so flexible that when it when I started, I didn't really ever feel it personally, but I see it on a regular basis. The new student coming in that maybe has an injury, maybe is a little bit older, maybe is not super comfortable in their body or is going through something like, hello, everybody is. And mm. there's, this, there's this fear when they walk into a space. And I've noticed the the longer i've been teaching first of all the more simple my teachings become like <laughs> less is more baby but second of all i've noticed like the older my clientele has become because i feel really proud of the fact i've created a space that that people with aging bodies feel like they can come and they can feel safe and they can feel like yoga is accessible maybe for the first for the first time. Mm -hmm. So I love teaching to my my 50 and 60 and seven year old folks. <laughs> yes, and you're changing their life and helping mm -hmm. them maybe create a relationship with their body that they never had. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. dropping on in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just keep having random flashbacks during this conversation of different yoga classes that I've had and especially early on. And I remember I was in Half Pigeon and we had the option to go into King and I, and for anyone that doesn't know, that's a very deep, <laughs> Backbend. Yeah. One Very of the deepest. Deep. <laughs> one of the deepest. Yeah. And, you know, I was flexing my back leg, trying to pull my toes in towards my body with my back arm. And the teacher came up to me and he pushed my head mm. back and pushed my foot. And yes, they your touched. Your foot touched your head. <laughs> they touched. I was stoked. Mm -hmm. But did that feel good in my body? Absolutely not. But then it set up this expectation for me that every time I go to this individual's class, that's what I do. I go in as deep as possible. And my students know that I barely even... We, when we do back bends, oh, they gentle. They yeah. gentle, all right. And we've warmed, we've readied. We're like, yes. last 20 minutes of class, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know it. I just need to share that random flashback. You know, I know. Unlocking one, the one flashback coming up for me is um, I still have SI joint issues mm -hmm. from a class that taught a crescent lunge twist on one side, and the transition was just pivot to the back of the mat, crescent lunge twist on the other. For anyone doesn't know, who doesn't know that your SI joint doesn't really like to move in mm -hmm. that way and mm -hmm. at that at that speed. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I have SI joint issues on my left side, and I think about that class often and why I felt the need to to keep up and to move, and even when I heard the pop to keep going. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why I kept going back to that class. I don't know. Yeah, 
But man, that that shit lasts. It does. It lingers, and then you look back and you're like, mm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of my injuries are, not some. Almost all of my injuries are from me pushing myself in yoga asana. Isn't that wild? Yes, and no one in yes the adjustments. Of course, I could point the finger and blame these humans, but. Most of them were myself. Yeah. Me trying to show off. Pushing yourself. Yeah. yeah. And that's what it was. It was I hear about to show off. torn labrums all the time from yeah. going too deep in lunges. I yep. hear about rotator cuff isu- issues from, you know, too many chaturangas or whatever it is. And like, yeah, I think if people aren't moving in, in intuitively, but also intentionally, they're, first of all, you're missing the whole point <laughs> of yoga. Second of all, it kind of gives yoga this bad name of mm-hmm. like potentially being injurious. And it's not. It's not meant to be a movement practice causing injury. Yeah. It's really not. No. And I mean, we are both honest enough to admit that we did, you know, that we injured ourselves by not listening to that. And I think that's why we're both so passionate about sharing that with our students. And when I do teacher trainings and I'm grateful that I get to lead a lot of anatomy and physiology and it's just, it's so fun for me because I'm a nerd and I love using my doctor brain and my yoga brain and weaving them together. But I always share stories of myself and my close friends and I tell them I'm not making any of this up. My knee does not do this anymore because what I did in Lotus Pose because my hips were not open yeah, and we, I demanded that we, they were. We hyper-focus on flexibility in yoga and it does such a disservice to just like the name of yoga in general. I mean, we could go so far as to say culturally we hyper-focus on asana. Like yeah. it's just like, eat, like that's that's asana, but like that's what we are so fixated on here in the West. It's, yeah. it's silly. But especially as flexible humans, like those are the people that get injured the most in mm-hmm. yoga because they're going deep. They're going they're going low, they're going hard, they're going fast, and then they're not doing any strength training or any sort of, you know, stability work to counter all of that mobility work. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. That's what I always, I was going to say scare, but that I guess so. That's what I always scare my day one anatomy students with. Yeah. I'm going to say, if you are flexible, know that you are way more likely to get injured. Yeah. You are way less stable. And it's easy, I'm sure for you as well, having your background in gymnastics, but it's easy for me having a dance background to see the dancers in my class and to see the way that they show up in their body. And dancers are strong as fuck. They have really strong bodies, but they're used to turning out. They're used to doing different things and going as deep as they can and lifting the leg as high as they can. But that's not the point of this beautiful practice. And again, for a while, I thought it was, which is why my left knee is mad at me. (laughs) It's okay, sweetie. Yeah. She'll be okay. She just reminds yeah. me. Yeah. She just, she's just my reminder to honor uh, my body. People hate when I say this, but I'm like, injuries can be some of our greatest teachers. Yeah, they I can know. Be. It's kind of like, ooh, that's cringe, but it, it's true. <laughs> they can teach us so much about ourselves, about our egos, about, you know, about how to modify, about how to adjust, how to adapt, how to be more resilient, how to not make those same mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know what I would love to talk about with you because I think you'd be the perfect person. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about the shit that yoga teachers say that is just complete bullshit that actually isn't rooted in anything real, but that people just say. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen my real, the shit yoga teachers say? No. Literally, that is what it's called. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I've been saying some like thought provoking stuff on, uh, like just shit stirring stuff on Instagram recently and it's been fun. Yeah. I have to step away from the comments though because I'm just like, you guys like go at it. Like I already said my piece. Like I'm not. You said get from here, boo. (laughs) Yeah, I think under shit yogis say, um, it's things like, you know, um, good vibes only. (laughs) Oh, God. Cringe. It's things like love and light. It's things like, (laughs) 
I'm gonna say it. Namaste. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna say it. Bye. Yeah. And it's 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 spiritual bypassing is what it is, and um, and cultural appropriation. And those are like two really hot topics right now that like thankfully more and more people are like questioning like, hmm, what what why am I wearing this Ganesha shirt? Like, <laughs> why do I wear these beads around my wrist when that's not the point of wearing? You know, it's these things that were so normalized and glamorized in the West. And as as a white female yoga teacher sharing a practice that is not mine, within the last few years, I've really taken a step back to learn from people where this culture, where this practice came from, like learning from more South Asian teachers, reading, reading more literature about cultural appropriation, doing some work on myself and my own privilege to be sharing this practice and monetizing on this practice. Like yeah. we better be fucking careful about the things that we're sharing and preaching and saying when it's like, this isn't ours. Mm -hmm. This isn't our, this isn't ours. Yeah. And I, I'm just still giggling about the Ganesha shirt because it is so interesting that you know, I guess whenever you fall into any new box that you weren't in before, you think that you have to fully wear the costume. Oh God, right? But why can't you just be yourself exploring this new side of your consciousness or this new side of your reality? Why do you have to wear a costume? Why do you have to become vegetarian? Why do you have to become <laughs> vegan? Right. Because of Himsa. Yeah. How dare you? I can't even tell you how nervous I was to come out that I was no longer a vegan. Right. And that I love steak and love bacon and that I eat them every day almost. I, I was so nervous because... Yeah. There's a lot of guilt and a lot of shame in our community, a lot of judgment in every community, but yeah. I'm just speaking to this one, obviously, and it's it's not fair, and it takes a lot of just the authenticity out of it, because you can be, again, any type of human, and enjoy this practice, have some type of benefit from it. You don't have to be someone that wears all white and has mala yeah and you know what i was so ashamed about was the fact that i smoked weed <laughs> for many years mm -hmm. and mind you i don't smoke weed anymore because i'm trying to make a baby but <laughs> um but for years i did it with so much shame around mm -hmm. it because i thought that it wasn't spiritual and i had a teacher tell me it was putting holes in my astral body and my subtle body <laughs> it was and i i was just like in my shame closet about smoking weed and i remember talking to one person and they were like what is, first of all, what's your astral body? Second of all, <laughs> who told you that? And I was like, the shit that we just start to like buy into. Mm -hmm. Veganism is one of those things as yogis because of himsa. Mm -hmm. Who, what? Yeah, so I'm gonna be violent to myself and not listen to what it's asking Absolutely. for? Absolutely, mm -hmm. it's, it's the things that we just start to, like the box that we start to think we need to fit in and the voice that we think we need to have and the music we think we need to play and the oils we think we need to diffuse and it just becomes this whole, performance again mm -hmm. it's so performative yeah and I think I think a lot of this comes from the lack of quality teacher trainings out there yeah. unfortunately yeah there's so many trainings out there 200 hour trainings are like literally on every corner mm -hmm. and a lot of them don't teach the history the decolonized history of this practice um they don't teach on topics like spiritual bypassing and cultural appropriation, and they don't bring in teachers of, you know, different backgrounds and cultures and, and things like that. And it just perpetuates something that's like downright toxic mm -hmm. and it's sad. Yeah. And I think that also so many new teachers parrot what their favorite teachers say. Yes. For you, I can even pick them. I could pick them out and be like, yep, that's what Nikki says. And I just know that that's where they got it from. And 
that's something that I always tell my students when I'm helping guide them when these little baby yoga teachers, I say, please never say this. And also because a lot of it is just straight rooted in bullshit. So going back to things that I hate what yoga teachers say, one of my least favorite things Tell that me. yoga teachers say <laughs> is when you are in a back bend and when you drop your head back, so now your neck is in full hyperextension. If you get dizzy or lightheaded, this is a sign that you are opening up your heart space, or this is a sign that you are reaching a different level of consciousness or some bullshit. And I'm like, homie, you are literally cutting off the blood supply to your brain by <laughs> that's cramping why that's happening. the vertebral artery. Mm. Scientifically, that's what's going on. And you need to listen to that or, you know, go to the edge of this sensation, even if it's slightly painful. No, you don't do that. You honor your yeses. You honor your noes. You take a step back. And I could truly list off a hundred things that I hate that yoga teachers say, but really at the root of it, I just don't want anyone to say something that A, they don't know what it means exactly. or B, that they heard what someone say, but it's not rooted in something that they actually believe in and can stand behind because... My favorite teachers are the ones that are authentic, the ones that just speak English when they're teaching and the ones that speak, you know, to the body and to the practice rather than something outside of the room that is maybe flowery and sounds like you could listen to it on an audiobook. Yeah. It's like, no, it's, it just keeps coming back to me for like, know what you know mm -hmm. and just like stick with that. And if that means like, you know, I, I do teach Sanskrit because I think it's important to bring cultural context into my teachings. But if you just learn one new Sanskrit word, like, like learn it and learn how to pronounce it and say it and use it. But like, don't go spewing just nonsense in a language that you don't know just to sound a certain way mm -hmm. you know and it's the same thing when like something cringe anatomically that comes up there are so many anatomy myths in yoga like mm -hmm. like who the f started the whole myth like don't use your glutes in a back bend i was hoping you were gonna where say that where the fuck did that come from why would you not want why would you support your low back in a back bend zero sense to me <laughs> zero sense Relax to that me. booty yeah like don't yeah let it be soft yeah, there's so many myths, whether it's like <laughs> anatomy myths, spiritual myths that like you just heard someone say or you like not to call it yoga journal, but like call like like yoga journal has like spewed some nonsense over mm -hmm. the years and, mm -hmm. and people read it one time in an article and then just go with it. And it's it's just doing a disservice to the practice. Mm -hmm. It's really sad. It is. I agree. Yeah. And, and it is. You're right. Knowing what you know. And it wasn't until I did a yoga teacher training that I realized, wow, I know nothing <laughs> about the body. Well, first of all, anything. Yeah. I know nothing about anything. Yes. This is just the start of me realizing that I know nothing. Mm -hmm. But also, if I didn't have a medical background, I don't know if I would be as confident leading through certain asanas as I am just because of the risk of certain injury or just now I truly will feel myself get anxious watching certain people do certain things in class because I can tell that their spine is very close to smooshing mm -hmm. a disc. I can just see it. I can see their low back pulling and usually their face is like turning purple, but they're like, I'm good, I'm good. And I'm shaking and it's, it's a shame. It yeah. is a shame. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a shame that like, when did asana become like harder, faster, bigger, better, like, a, a huge pet peeve of mine, another, you know, shit yogi say, the fullest expression of the pose. Yeah. What the fuck does that mean? Yeah. What is your fullest expression? My fullest expression? My mom's fullest expression? My grandma's yeah. fullest expression? Yeah. Like, those all look different <laughs> mm -hmm. because our bodies are different. Yeah. So. And they're supposed to be. And they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. <laughs> wow. How do you feel about yoga sculpt? Oh, God. I know. <laughs> I know. 
Oh, I'm going to ruffle some feathers here, probably. Ruffle them up. That's what this podcast is for. I feel like if you're going to do sculpt, great. Do sculpt. Call it something else. Mm -hmm. Call it something else. (laughs) Please don't put the name yoga in front of something. (laughs) That means union. That means connection. That means, you know, liberation. Please don't put that in front of a sculpt practice and say namaste at the end and and say that you're practicing yoga. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that makes no sense to me. And, like... Yeah, I feel the same way about, to be honest, like hot yoga, like sometimes and glow in the dark yoga and puppy yoga and goat yoga and (laughs) 420 yoga and beer yoga. Like the list goes on. I feel I feel a type of way like that. We're really doing something like culturally wrong and insensitive when we when we bridge something like yoga with sculpt, for Mm -hmm. example. And it like it pains me because as someone that's like doing the best that I can now with the tools that I have now to be as culturally sensitive and appropriate as I can. I'm like, can't we do better people? Mm -hmm. Can't we call it something else? And people will still come. I'm sure they will. Yeah, they will. I, I second that. Um, you know, there was a time that sculpt helped me get into shape. Yeah. And And that's great. Yeah. And it's great. It's great, but it's, it's not yoga. Exactly. It's not yoga. No, it's not. And talk about risk of injury. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Yeah. No one even tells you how to use a weight. And then you're just like flailing it over your head and doing yoga with it. Yeah. Scary. Scary yeah. shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Literally flailing around. Literally flailing happens. around as yeah. fast as possible. Mm-hmm. And I pick up my, my weights, which are two pounds, because that's all I need. And they're yeah. like, lift up the heavier ones. You can do eight pounds. I'm like, you don't know what I can do. No. I don't want eight pounds. No. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But yeah. it's so popular. And it just is. like hot yoga is so popular because people say, oh, I can get so flexible when I'm all hot and sweaty. Like, it's just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Call it something else. Yeah. Can't we? Yeah. I mean, I did so much heated yoga that I put myself in a state of adrenal burnout mm. because I just lost all my liquid. I would teach a yoga class and then I would take one or two. So yeah. that's three hours of being soaking sopping wet drenched dehydrated I couldn't drink enough water and it wasn't until I went to the doctor that they said to me did you ever consider that it's hot yoga what no way no way yoga this healing (laughs) thing how could it be and then once I started to vocalize that and I started teaching less and my students would ask me why I wasn't practicing as much then people would come forward and be like you know I actually started not feeling that good once I started practicing this much or my wife's hormones got really imbalanced once she started practicing here or x y or z and again I think that's the importance of just honoring our own truth and speaking from that place and trusting that other people might have other truths but the reality is is that we don't usually experience something that is fully unique to us someone else in the world is going through it too and when Mm -hmm. as a yoga instructor or even as a yoga student someone that is very invested in this practice can speak to our own experience it allows other people to feel safe in trusting theirs yeah absolutely and and to voice theirs too I think that's huge and Mm -hmm. yeah like I was just thinking about like my early 20s teaching like back-to-back hot classes in PB in this like tiny sweat box for like hours like hardly drinking any water Mm because when are you gonna sip water in the middle of teaching a class Mm -hmm. and just the amount of energy and sweat and and fatigue that goes on Mm -hmm. when when you're putting yourself through that much physical and mental and emotional exertion is like could not have been good for (laughs) for my nervous system back then yeah right luckily I was young and bounced back and and learned (laughs) learned better but 
but yeah, I don't, I don't do hot yoga anymore for yeah. many reasons. So same, yeah. same here. <laughs> you know, you live and you learn. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's all you can do. Yeah. Something else that I'm kind of concerned about with hot yoga, which I've never fully voiced. This is, I don't find it possible that those spaces don't have mold. I just don't. Ooh, I just do let's not. talk about cleanliness for a second. Yeah, please. There was there was an article that came out a while ago in Yoga Journal. Um, and it was like, you know, what is, what's the number one thing you look for in a yoga studio? And it's like, you'd think like quality teachers or I don't know what people look for. Like, great, great sound system, good parking. The number one thing people look for is cleanliness. And it's like, you can smell in a hot yoga studio, but that is not... It's just not possible when there's that much humidity in a space yeah. and that small of a space and that many people sweating in a space. And then 20 minutes later, there's another group of 30 people sweating in that same space. Like, oh, like, ew. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. Truly ew. ew. And I like to remind the listeners that if you smell something that smells musty or off, it's always a microbial overgrowth mm. in that environment. It's not random and it's almost always mold. And I can smell even in this moment, the smell of the yoga studio that we met at, I can, I will never forget it. Yeah. And I didn't know at that point that that's what it was. And one of my first patients was actually someone from that studio and they had a ridiculously strange rash on their body that ended up being due to a very random infectious organism that they got from the yoga studio. And when we share blocks and we share blankets uh. and we share mats and we share the floor and uh. it's, and, and then we're asking <laughs> students to take deep, deep breaths yeah. in and out, like nasty. That's actually yeah. one of my biggest pet peeves is that when someone is sweating all over a block or they like get a blanket from the back of class and use it as their towel during class and then just fold it back up and put it back there. Who the fuck raised you? Yeah. That is disgusting. And who do you think's washing that? Like, who is washing that? Maybe someone on trade yeah, every maybe. other week yeah. or so. <laughs> no. Like no. in their home washing machine where they're like, maybe. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's pretty gnarly. And you know, <laughs> like Saucha is a yogic principle of cleanliness. And I think it's really undervalued like I really try to leave spaces that I'm in better than when I when I got there. I mm -hmm. a pet peeve of mine is like the blanket should all be folded a certain way. They should look a certain way. The block should be put back. And that shouldn't be on the teacher. Like no. as students, like everything is a reflection of our consciousness. Like mm -hmm. the way you put your blocks back and the way you fold your blanket and not sweat all over it and then just toss it right back in there like that's a reflection of your mind too mm -hmm. i truly believe that me too and just so, respect for this exactly. space yeah yeah but i also think you know just being an american a lot of people don't necessarily they're working on respect I'll yeah say. they're working on self-respect they're working on respect for the earth it's a work in progress yeah. it's a work in progress <laughs> you know evolutionarily we're trying to respect this planet and each other more but uh we'll hold space for that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> And like bring your own blanket, people. Yeah, like it, your own just, block. Just bring it. Bring your own yeah. props. And also wash your fucking yoga mat. Like if you've <laughs> never washed your yoga mat, wash it. Wash it. Sanitize it. Yeah. If I have a sweaty yoga class, I will wash it the second I get home. Yeah. I spray her down often. It needs to happen. And I can think of years that I didn't when I was a hot yogi. Why would I? It's my sweat. Yeah. Ugh. Gross. And then you like unroll your mat, and it's like still moist from I the know. class you took. Jeez. So gross. Ah, uh, the beautiful smells of microbial oh, growth. It's, I can smell it. Yeah, yeah. It's the beauty of the mind. Yeah, it can yeah. just elicit Took these me memories. right there. Oh, so great. So what else is near and dear to your heart that you feel as if we should talk about today? Because we've talked about a lot of things, but I can almost read your mind. But 
are you interested in talking a little bit more about how you grew your business and how you just became successful at doing something that you loved and kind of making it your own because you did. Yeah, we can talk about that. Yeah, Yeah, I think, you know, like back to our conversation about lack of quality 200 hour trainings. Like, I don't know about yours, but like, where was the conversation about business? Mine was horrible. Yeah, Mine was all in all. I'm so sorry if whoever led my training is listening to this. It's not your fault, but it was horrible. And I'll even tell my students that like I don't know if I can even call what I did a teacher training. Mm, yeah. Yeah. We, we had like an afternoon on business. Yeah. I have, I'm really grateful for my first 200 hour training, to be mm-hmm. honest. It was like, it was at a core power and people can talk a lot of shit about CPY, but like, I'm still like, I'm still really grateful for where I started. I'm, and I, I don't like to shit all over them because it's where I started and our training was a lot different back then mm-hmm. than the way that they lead trainings now. This was like 12 years ago. So, um, but there was no business of yoga conversation. There was no, how do you, how do you get a job? How do you write a resume? How do you market yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you create curriculum? Like where was that content in our training? So something I'm really passionate about now is teaching and mentoring yoga teachers for like what that looks like, because there's such a gap in, in making money as a yoga teacher. And then maybe that's the thing. So like, shit yogis don't say is like Mm -hmm. how much we make let's let's talk about revenue let's talk about the fact that i'm getting paid pretty much the same for public classes now as i was 10 years ago Mm -hmm. like something something's off there that most industries based on your experience your education your expertise like there's a there's a pay increase that doesn't really happen in this industry and i'm not going to go down why i think that is but um But I think there's ways to make it work as a business. And what has worked for me, a few different things. One, I don't teach a ton of public classes. I have three public classes and I'm done. Like that's, those are my public offerings. How I do make a little bit more revenue on the side is is I expand and diversify my offerings. So I teach workshops, I teach privates, I teach trainings, I'm, I'm teaching retreats. I'm always thinking about what's next and not like, what new studio can I teach a class and get paid $50 and, you know, run around town to teach it? Like, no, like I have, like I said, my three classes and boom, like we're done. But I think there's a lot of ways that teachers can get creative to make money in other ways in public classes. So that's mm-hmm. one, one thing that's always worked for me is like just getting a little bit outside the, the confines of a group class. Um, and as you know, like I, I freaking love social media for the fact that it's free marketing. I mean, mm-hmm. mind you, my time is not free. The energy I put into content creation is not free, but I have sold out every one of my retreats just through Instagram, yeah. right? I have, I have marketed all my trainings, all my offerings pretty much solely through Instagram. Mind you, I have a newsletter. It's small. She's growing. It's, it's, <laughs> it's happening, but, but I just, I have such a a solid place for social media in my heart for many reasons. But one of them is because it's allowed my business to evolve um, without paying a ton of advertisement money or, you know, whatever it was, I kind of just taught myself how to, how to work this whole social media thing and ran with it. And, and that's something that I also coach people with all the time is like how to show up authentically online. Yeah. Because that's not really taught a whole lot. (laughs) No. Yeah. And I think when you show up in anything authentically, two things will happen. First of all, some people are going to be like, who do you think you are? Yeah. And then they leave 
but then your tribe finds you. Exactly. And I wanted to speak a little bit to teaching in public and what that is like. So I, when I, like I said, when I first started teaching, the starting rate was 25. I definitely would never teach a class for $25 anymore at this stage of my existence. Um, however, when the pandemic happened, everything was shut down. Yoga studios were shut down. So a lot of us started offering classes online. I would do Instagram lives and I was blown the fuck away by how each one of my students, even if they just gave me $5, I was walking away from that hour of me being at home, just practicing with someone on a camera. Then I made in a month of a yoga studio, pouring my heart into classes. And that's not okay because I agree in which the rate in which yoga teachers are paid hasn't really gone up, but the price of membership has. Absolutely. So the studios are making more. And I will again give a shout out to Nikki Ray Bose, the owner of Reunify, because I have never worked for someone that cared so much about their employees mm. who, when she raises the rates, that means all of her employees get a rate, not just one or two, everyone gets an increase. And that she's also donating some of that back into the community, into nonprofit, but that is unheard of, unheard of in this industry and that's and incredible it, it is incredible <laughs> she is amazing and that's why at this stage of my existence i really didn't think that i would still be teaching because in a lot of ways my time i always weigh this out i say is this hour of time worth it or would i rather be at home cuddling my dogs and almost every time it's cuddling my dogs, dogs almost every time things. yes honestly <laughs> I feel even that. dating i'm like oh, i'm gonna be home casey yeah, mm-hmm. i want something else right now but because of the space that Nikki has and the way that she runs her business and just the consciousness that is weaved into that beautiful studio, I always feel rewarded mm-hmm. when I go there. And she pays me well. It's not like I'm making millions, but she pays me well and I feel respected. And I think as yoga teachers, it's, I didn't always feel that. And I remember one yoga studio that I was teaching at during the pandemic, they were not going to shut down, but she said, I'm not going to pay you for now. And you could just teach for free. Mm. Oh, but that's weird, but you're still making money. You're still getting these memberships. And then I left and will never go back. Oopsies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's not unheard of. Like I was just telling a friend the other day, um, I remember like interviewing for a studio. This wasn't even that long ago, like four years ago or something. After the interview process, they were like, oh, we'd love to hire you. But like, um, you know, we're just starting out. So like we can't really pay you right now, (laughs) but we'll, we'll get around to it. And I remember being like, absolutely not. Like that, there's no other industry that that's, okay and but you should be selfless as a yoga teacher it's a service it's a service yeah 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 but it's also my fucking job yeah it's my job how are you gonna make a living yeah and and unfortunately like like i'm over here like yeah i'm like i love my business but like damn like i don't really feel financially respected as a yoga teacher and i haven't really found a studio that that treats me and like really values me as a yoga therapist as someone that has put in not only thousands of dollars into education but over a decade of teaching and experience um it really it's really something that sits heavy on my heart is Mm -hmm. is the lack of um financial value that i see a lot of yoga teachers experiencing yeah and i hope that we see in the near future the whole business structure change around I think we it. will. We have to. Yeah. It's been it's been the same for too long. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people I know just never went back to teaching at studios yeah. because they make more on their once a week live class or exactly. once a week outdoors class because everyone donates a little bit. And even if someone who comes can truly only donate a couple bucks, still collectively you're walking away with way more than the yoga studio owner that's yeah. making 
hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Yeah, and I will say, like, as someone that has been in management and is friends with studio owners, like, I know they're not making, they're not making a lot. And so many studio owners are so stressed all the time and strapped for money all the time and are just like barely scraping by because I think there's a model of business that is it just is so outdated and it needs it needs a serious like revamp yeah um so I'm not gonna put this all on studio owners because I definitely don't think that's who's like rolling in the dough but I I think it's it's something as an industry that really needs to shift Mm mm-hmm I have no business background, so I have no insight there, but I will put some good energy in that direction. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. You know, in most other careers, your expertise and your training has a lot of weight and that dictates how much you're paid. And in this industry, it doesn't always do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But like what you said about people getting creative during COVID to transition online, I think that's, I think that's so valuable for people not only to make to make a financial gain that they're not making running around town teaching 10, 20 classes a week, but to also reach people that like maybe either don't feel comfortable Mm -hmm. coming to yoga classes or live across the world or in a different time zone or don't really feel like showing up and looking and comparing or whatever it is. I think there's a lot of um, beauty in the online industry because it's like it it can create more accessibility in the yoga industry, which is something like that's needed to change for a long time too. Yeah. I very much agree with that. And in general, I, me and technology don't really get along. My beautiful producer, Eric is an angel for every aspect of my life. We love you so much, (laughs) but I wouldn't do half the things that I did online out of if I didn't see the benefit in it. And in the beginning, I was so resistant to it. And it was my friends being like, girl, you should do some stuff online or you should do this or you should do that. And I was like, ah, no why and even social media now i love it I was because just i can connect say, yeah. with so many people as myself yeah. not through this mask of what that studio wants me to be or what this brand is i am the brand and if people they like are. this brand come come hither and they are and they will yeah and i think um like someone in my last training called instagram a necessary evil <laughs> and i think like so many people relate with instagram that way and mm-hmm. i see so many people um having this like all or nothing approach to it where they go in and they create all this content and they like post all their schedules and da da da, da and then are like i'm taking a break like i'm done And then it's like this dance back and forth between I'm all in, I'm all out. But there's a lot of things you can do to sustainably show up online Mm -hmm. and back to boundaries, like, like virtual boundaries are a thing, Mm -hmm. right? So (laughs) to have some, some boundaries with how you show up online is very fair, but to realize, I truly think that if you're going to run a business and if you're a yoga teacher and you're not on Instagram, I think you're missing you're missing a whole audience, a whole group of people and a whole platform where your message can be heard. And I always tell my students like that are in my trainings, I say like someone out there is not doing yoga because you're not teaching yoga. Oh, yeah. And and it's the same thing. Like, you know, you never know who's going to see you online and be like, ah, that yoga thing or ooh, that thing you went through that I'm going through. Like I'm not alone. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That, that statement got me a little bit. It did. So I love that you Good. share that in your trainings. And 
I think that we all have our own unique flavor and sometimes we think that we have to be a certain way mm. to be approved of or to be in the like yoga culture but I hope that all the <laughs> listeners are learning here that you can just be yourself and teach from your heart and from your authentic place and that will be how you build your following of humans that like you said are not practicing yoga because they have not felt connected or safe to and it's when you open that door that you'll change their life and I also think that as a yoga instructor, I don't realize how often the things that I say, sometimes they just flow out of me. I'm grateful that I have a gift of speech. I just talk and oftentimes what I say, I don't think it means anything. It's usually the classes that I think were horrible. And then after class, someone will either message me or come up to me and be like, you have no idea how much I needed to hear that today. Mm. Thank you so much. I love that. Mm -hmm. Isn't it interesting when someone's like, oh, you said, and then they'll quote you and you'll be like, I said that? I said that? You sure? Yeah. Like I said Today? Yeah. In class? Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that brings to mind like the first time I ever online voiced the fact that I, I deal with mental health stuff, anxiety and depression. And I can remember being like, like quivering as I was like, I'm going to share, like I'm going to hit, I'm, I'm going to hit post, like I have depression. And <laughs> I just remember the, like the floodgates opening as to clients being like can yoga help with depression like can I book with you now and I was like yeah like I I know some things like mm -hmm. some things that have worked for me and that I've learned in my practice of yoga therapy and it just like yeah I think being vulnerable online and being super honest with with where you're at and the things you go through you just you never know who's gonna who's gonna feel more connected to you and seen by you and and maybe you want to book a class with you and come to your workshops and just be a part of what you're doing and mm -hmm. who you are. And it takes you off of that pedestal. Yeah. It takes you out of this teacher student mentality. Of course, you're still a guide, right? You are there to teach. Yes. But you are teaching from a human place yeah. rather than an entitled place or from, of course, I don't suffer from that place because I am enlightened. I'm healed. I am healed. I'm now. transformed. I am so transformed. Mm. And I start a lot of my classes like that. I'm like, friends, I am just a human. Yeah. Like I'm a human that loves teaching yoga. So we're going through this together. Yeah. I, I recently, as you know, went through, um, through a bit of hell, um, with an ectopic pregnancy and people were shocked that I showed up to teach mm -hmm. a few days later. Mm -hmm. Um, and mind you, I've been doing this a long time. So I have a little bit more of like, like, um, resiliency and and can show up and not pour my whole heart and soul into a class and like still feel okay and people were so supportive but I think the reason I could show up was because I didn't just like stand up there and put on a show mm -hmm. I was like look I'm having a really fucking hard time right now um and this is what we're gonna do today mm -hmm. we're gonna focus on the hips and low back because my low back's healing me period mm -hmm. let's go yeah and there's healthy boundaries that we can set as yoga teachers that it's like like let's let's not pour our whole being into this class, mm -hmm. um, and like then we leave feeling like a shell of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that just all comes from from the honesty and the the willingness and the fearlessness that comes with vulnerability. You have to be exquisitely courageous yeah. to speak about almost anything that yeah. is taboo and talking about ectopic pregnancy. A lot of people wouldn't even talk about that. You know, a lot of people don't talk about miscarriage. A lot of people don't talk about death. A lot of people don't talk about grief. Yeah. I remember when I got divorced, I couldn't even say that word for so long in front of my yoga class. And I remember the first class that I said the word divorce. And I'm like, I said it. I said it. Because everyone in here judging me now. Yeah. Is everyone in here judging me now? And then yeah. I connected with so many people about that. Yeah. I feel that way about getting pregnant right now. I'm like, no one, 
no one educates on that. And I'm like shouting it from the rooftops. I'm talking to everybody. And I was at the studio the other day and they're like, I don't know if um, you feel open to talking about it. And I was like, yeah, I feel open to talking about it. Like, let's let's talk about it. Let's mm -hmm. talk about the things that particularly women that bleed every month and women that want to have a baby or that have miscarriages. Like, let's open the door to talk about the things that we don't talk about because that's part of yoga in my opinion yes yeah. it's unity of everything exactly i mean my friend always says you know when she talks about her cute little baby boy she's like everything is divine you know like his shit is divine <laughs> like it's, it's all divine yeah and it is and we can't just take the love and the light and say this is all this is it that's it yeah just like all that other stuff just like mm. yeah mm. yeah mm -mm. i'm too evolved for yeah. that yeah yeah for sure for sure mm. well my girl this has been such an incredible conversation yeah. that just flowed on out. Mm -hmm. And I am forever grateful for <laughs> you and for, again, the role that you have played mm -hmm. in my journey to becoming a yoga teacher. And becoming a yoga teacher changed my life. It, it dropped me into my voice. It dropped me into my body. Mm -hmm. Taught me how to breathe. It taught me how to hold space. It taught me how to be on a stage, honestly. And... I don't know if I'd be at this place in my career if I didn't have that invitation and that courage. And again, you are a big part of it. So thank you. Wow. So I want you to receive all of that love. Received, girl. Yes. And I remember those red pants. They're coming back to me. Yes. I bought red pants after that. I did. I, I did. And, they, and I wore them for so many years that they disintegrated yeah, and I perfect. got rid of them. And something that we didn't talk about, which we definitely don't need to right now, but they were very toxic yoga pants that I will never wear again yeah, because next we're time. covered in poison. Yeah, we'll talk about that next time. Um, but how can my beautiful humans get in touch with you if they want to work with you directly or follow you? Can you share? Absolutely. So I'm everywhere. <laughs> I'm mostly on Instagram. I share from there every day, all day, um, at Kelly Livingstone Yoga. And then I'm in the middle of creating an online membership. So short, accessible, smart classes that people can subscribe to. So that's my website, kellylivingstoneyoga.com. And I teach a few classes around town. My schedule's on my site, it's on my um, Instagram. I post that all the time too. And that's about it. I dabble in the TikTok world, but mm, not, mm. not quite there yet. I'm I, th I pick you. a platform and I, I stick with it. And, yeah. and that's where I am with IG. I'm like, I just, I love it. So I'm gonna stick with that. It's working. Yeah. So why, why ruin something that's working? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Incredible. So I always end these conversations with you sharing something that is near and dear to your heart. It could be a love bomb, a knowledge bomb, a truth bomb. It could be small. It could be big. Whatever it is that you want to share. The floor is yours. Uh, well, my love bomb first to you. This conversation oh. was awesome and I think necessary. Um, a lot of this stuff, like we've talked so much about, doesn't come up in trainings, doesn't come up if you're not looking for it. Um, and something, something I guess I'd like to leave with is like, yoga has the potential to not just be something that we do, but it can really truly be a part of who we are and how we show up in the world. And I think the more and more people embody yoga as a living practice, um, the more that culturally we can, we can honor where it comes from and, and we can evolve this industry that has kind of gone a little bit a little bit askew and like we're just reeling it in little by little so so like allowing your practice to be woven into the fabric of your life like and that's how we can create really positive change on the individual but also on like the collective level too mm. so mm. that's where I'm at today I love where you're at today <laughs> I love it 
Well, thank you for sharing your truth, your authenticity, your journey, your smile. I, again, am endlessly grateful for you and you'll be back. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Toodaloo, cuties.